John chapter 3, verse 17 verses. I may read through 21 for fun. Because I can. Here's how it starts. Now, there is a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He's a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. How can a man be born again if he's old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he can't enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from nor where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You're Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you don't understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still, You people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world. That he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. We'll go a little farther. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. We will go that far for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life have you heard that before anyone yeah right all of us (laughs) in fact i would i would wager that most most people at least in this country have at least heard that maybe even if they don't go to church like it's like the verse right it's the famous one it's it's like, mm, we love that thing. And we'll get to it. We'll talk about it. Have you heard the name Billy Sunday? Anybody heard the name Billy Sunday? I'm not going to ask you if you know who he was because I'm about to tell you who he was. But we have a road, a street in Ames named after this guy named Billy Sunday. So Billy Sunday was famous in the early 1900s. So like 100 years ago. 
if you can believe that. And Billy Sunday was born in a log cabin, like right about the place where Highway 30 and South Duff meet, intersect. Like it's not there anymore, clearly. But he was born like just steps away from here. So why is there a road named after Billy Sunday? Why do we know the name Billy Sunday? Why was he famous? Well, he was for a while uh, a very, uh, he, had a, he had a pretty good baseball career. In fact, if you can learn all about him on Google. Just Google Billy Sunday. Uh, he played baseball in Nevada, went to school there. Uh, anyway, uh, so he had a pretty successful baseball career. For a time, he held the record for the most stolen bases in the major leagues at 97. He held that mark until a guy named Ty Cobb. Have you ever heard of Ty Cobb? Baseball legend. So Billy Sunday held the record until Ty Cobb broke it and stole 98 uh, stolen bases. So then uh, he also held the record in the National League for the fastest guy who could run around the bases. He did it in 14, less, a little less than 14 seconds, which is really fast. Now, he, we could have known him for his baseball career because he probably would have become some sort of Hall of Famer. But we don't know of Billy Sunday because of his baseball career. We know him because he gave that all up and he wound up becoming uh, one of the, the most well-known Christian evangelist in the early 20th century. In fact, if it hadn't been for Billy Graham coming after him, like he would be the Christian evangelist of the 20th century. Isn't that interesting, two Billies? That just came to mind. Anyway, Billies, what is that about? So anyway, it is said that he got more front page coverage in U.S. newspapers than any other person at the time, even more than people like Teddy Roosevelt, Woodrow Wilson, and Herbert Hoover. Without things like public address systems, without TV, without radio, it is said that he spoke to over 100 million people in his day. So clearly people wanted to hear what Billy Sunday had to say. And part of his appeal was this guy seemed to be just like a regular dude. He was a man of the people. He talked just like everyone else. And so he was like really relatable, right? In fact, he was so relatable that people recorded what he said. And so there's lots of quotes. Again, you can Google this. Do some research. It's, he's a fascinating guy. So they recorded a bunch of his quotes. I'm going to share some of them with you now. So here, here are a few of the things that Billy Sunday said. He says, your reputation is what people say about you. Some of these, by the way, you may have heard before, not knowing where in the world it came from. They came from Billy Sunday. Okay, your reputation is what people say about you. Your character is what God and your wife know about you. <laughs> so good. Have you heard of that one before? Anyway. If nine-tenths of you were as weak physically as you are spiritually, you couldn't walk. Oh, just tell it like it is, Billy. Here's another one. God likes a little humor, as is evidenced by the fact that he made the monkey, the parrot, and some of you people. <laughs> I like that one. Here's another one. Going to church doesn't make a person a Christian any more than rolling a wheelbarrow into a garage makes it an automobile. That's a good one. All of those to come to this last one, okay? The best thing that could happen to a man would be to get saved at a revival meeting and then walk out and get run over by a truck. <laughs> what? 
I may have a little bit of an issue with that one. <laughs> I may have a lot of issues with that one. And we will come back to it. For now, Nicodemus. Here's the deal about Nicodemus. We don't know a whole lot about Nicodemus. We know Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Nicodemus wasn't just any Pharisee. He was a Pharisee. He was an important Pharisee. He was a member of the Jewish ruling council, which means he was like, mm. he, was, he was an expert in all things religious. He knew the right things. He taught the right things. He made sure everybody else taught the right things. And probably most important of all, he believed all the right things, at least according to the Pharisees. But Jesus comes on the scene, and, and Jesus has him curious because he's doing all sorts of interesting things, miraculous signs, he calls them. He's doing all sorts of interesting things, but here's the thing about Jesus. He doesn't have the credentials. He doesn't have, at least not that we know of, he doesn't have the religious credentials in order to do the things that he's been doing. And so, so he's a little bit interested. And so he comes to Jesus under cover of darkness, which probably means he doesn't want the rest of his people knowing that he's coming to Jesus. He doesn't, we don't want to lend him any credibility, right, with our presence. So he comes to Jesus under cover of darkness, uh, and he's like, what's up with you? dude. And so Jesus sort of sees the spiritual curiosity in him, sees the spiritual longing in his eyes, and he says to him, he just jumps right into it. He says, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Have we heard that phrase before? Born again. Again, this is very familiar to us, but apparently this is the first time in the history of ever that this idea has ever been spoken out loud. So he's not, he doesn't have all the stuff that we have in our brains when we hear born again. This is like the first time he's heard this. Anyone else has heard this. You have to be born again. And of course, naturally, he's completely confused. So he asks for a little, he asks for a little, a little clarification. He's like, how can someone be born again? Surely a person can't go back into their mother's, wow, take things literally much? Surely that can't happen. What do you mean? So Jesus tries his best to explain. He begins, talking about, he begins talking about the spirit and how the spirit is like the wind. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it's coming from or where it is going. Like you see the results of the wind. You see trees moving and waving and branches moving. You see the leaves blowing across the ground in the fall. Like you don't know where it's going or where it's coming from. So it is with those who are born of the Spirit. And then he references this obscure story from the book of Numbers, a story that, uh, that Nicodemus would have had memorized. And then he gets to it. He gets right to it. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him might not perish, but have eternal life. Ah, there it is. That's the good stuff. That's the sauce right there. We love that verse, don't we? We love it. Martin Luther, the, the reformer, not Martin Luther King Jr., but Martin Luther, who ignited the Protestant Reformation, called that verse the heart of the Bible, the gospel in miniature. And it's such an efficient verse. Like if we're going to pick out a verse that's efficient with its words, 
it would be this verse. In just 26 words, think about what we have. We have a loving God. We have, uh, we have a world that's treasured by God. We have a son who's self-giving, self-sacrificing. We have an invitation for the world, for God so loved the world that whoever believes. We have an invitation for everybody. We have salvation from death, and we have the promise of eternal life. That's a lot in just 26 words. That's the gospel in a nutshell. And it's so compelling that we do things like this, like football players, you know the eye black that they wear underneath their eyes? They'll put John 3.16 in white under those so that everybody can see it on TV. And if you see it on TV, you're like, what is that? And maybe you go look it up. Or you have basketball players who will write it on their shoes. Or, or you'll even see big signs at sporting events or other events with nothing on it but John 3.16. It's just right there, big and bold. Right? I love the verse. It's great. It might be the best verse ever. It might have all the right ideas and be the fantastic. It's fantastic. It's awesome. It's great. But I may have a little bit of an issue of what we sometimes do with it. Because here's the deal. In our effort to sort of make the message of Jesus and the message about Jesus accessible, sometimes we reduce the gospel to like a soundbite. We reduce it to something really, really small. And we'll do things like put it on eye black, we'll write it on our shoes, or just put it on a sign. We'll do what Billy Sunday did, and we'll reduce the whole thing down to this idea of just belief. That's what's behind what Billy Sunday did. That's what's behind his statement. The best thing that could happen to a man would be to get saved at a revival meeting and then walk out the door and get run over by a truck. If you just believe in Jesus, you're fine. You're good to go. Here's the deal. Many people are taught, and it's not always intentional. In fact, this is probably more caught than explicitly taught. Taught, but many people are taught or catch the idea that being a Christian is about affirming the right things mentally to the correct beliefs. It's a rational thing. And I'll be honest with you, I kind of used to think this. I used to think this a lot. To accept Jesus in our hearts meant that we agree to a set of doctrines about who Jesus is and what he accomplished by his death and resurrection. To enter the faith circle is to believe certain theological statements about God, Jesus, people, the human condition, spirit, church, the world. To believe these things are true. Again, a rational thing. Being a Christian sort of gets reduced down to a formula. If you just believe the right things, you can get hit by a truck and you'll be fine. Yes, true. But is that all there is? Is that it? Can we really reduce it to just a, a set of beliefs that we mentally agree with? Here's the deal. Here's the issue, I think. When, when the Christian faith 
gets reduced to just a, a set of beliefs, when it's reduced to a formula, what happens? Those beliefs, that formula, is then often used to just divide people, to separate people. I mean, churches have split over things like the legitimacy of infant baptism versus adult baptism, believers' baptism. Whole churches have split over the idea of whether or not the communion table should be open to all or only the baptized few members of a church. Whole denominations have been split apart over whether or not women should be allowed to be ordained as elders and pastors. And boy, we could be here for a really long time talking about all the ways in which churches and denominations have been split up. How many denominations are there? When, when the Christian faith is reduced to just a set of beliefs, it's often used to just sort of separate and to divide things. Is Christianity really only about believing the right things? Mentally assenting, right? Or is, it, or is there more to it than that? Wasn't Jesus offering something more to Nicodemus? Of course he was. I think we'd all agree with that. That's what this talk about being born again is all about. He wasn't simply offering Nicodemus a new set of beliefs or, hey, let's tack on a couple of other things so that you can really be in the club, he wasn't, he wasn't offering Nicodemus just a, a few tweaks to his already almost perfect life because Nicodemus, let's be honest about it, he was, he was about as moral as you can get. He was as perfect as you can get. He was a Pharisee. And he wasn't just a Pharisee. He was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Right? He wasn't just offering a few tweaks here. No, he was offering Nicodemus a brand new life. He was offering Nicodemus total life transformation. Perhaps that's even what Jesus meant when he used this word believe. You see, I think, we think some pretty different things about this word belief. And I think this word belief has changed about when the enlightenment happened. It became just a rational thing. But really, this idea of believe is a much bigger, greater, broader. It's a more relational word than we want to give it credit for. In one of her books, Christianity After Religion, historian Diana Butler Bass gets into the etymology concerning the word belief. Believe. She points out that our word believe comes from the German word belieben or belieben. I don't speak German. I think I'm saying it right. It's one of those two. Right? Belieben or believen comes from the German root word for guess what? Love. Whoa, was that unexpected to you? Is that unexpected or what? Comes from the word love. Isn't that great? So it's a much broader, much deeper meaning than just mentally checking boxes. So to believe isn't to simply hold an opinion about something. To believe is to, is to treasure. To believe is to hold something dear. 
To believe is to give your heart to something, give your life to something without reservation. To believe in something is to invest it with your love. And this is true of the ancient languages too, the ancient biblical languages, right? So the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. And when the writers of the Bible talk about things of this nature, like faithfulness, they weren't talking about simply mentally assenting to the correct beliefs. They weren't talking about believing the right things. They were writing about things like trust, fidelity, confidence. In fact, we could probably, given the way we speak and understand words today, we could probably translate this verse better. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever trusts in him, whoever invests in, invests in Jesus with their love, whoever believes in him. That's what they were talking about. To believe was to place your full confidence in him, to throw your whole self into his hands. That changes a person. That transforms a person. That's what Jesus is getting at when he starts talking about being born of the spirit. That's what he's talking about when he talks about water and spirit. To be born of the spirit gives you a whole new beginning, gives you a whole life transformation. And what he's doing is he's reaching way back to the beginning of everything. Genesis chapter one. When when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep while the spirit of God hovered over the waters. And then God spoke and the whole thing just exploded into being. It's a whole new thing. It's a whole new beginning. It's a life transformation. That's what Paul is getting at when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. I mentioned them last week, right? When you think about what Jesus says, you don't know where the wind's coming from or where it's going, but you can see the results, right? Born of the Spirit, something new. There's birth, no, something new coming from the Spirit. That's what Paul's getting at when he starts talking about the fruit of the Spirit. You can't see it. You can't see the Spirit doing what the Spirit does inside people. Oh, but you can see the fruit. And he says, the fruit, the result of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You can find that in Galatians 5 if you want. That's what it means. Right? So if someone's going to be born of the Spirit, it means to become more loving. When you're born of the Spirit, you become more joyful. Oh, that's so good. When you become born of the Spirit, you become more peaceful and you work for peace. When you're born of the Spirit, you become more patient. Oh, wouldn't it be great if the world had a whole lot more patience? Oh my goodness, especially online People are so mad online. Stop being so mad online. Show some patience. To be born of the Spirit is to become more gentle. To be born of the Spirit is to become more faithful. To be born of the Spirit is to become more self-controlled. The fruit of the Spirit. It's a brand new life. A whole new life. Life transformation. If there's one theme that runs throughout the entire entire Bible. It's this. God is making things new, including you. Are you becoming more loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kindness, goodness, all the rest? That's what it means to be born of the Spirit. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? What does it mean to believe in Jesus? It means to hold on to him. 
It means to invest in him with your whole life. For Nicodemus, it meant a brand new beginning. It meant letting go of all he thought he knew about life and how to live and even death. It meant being born again. It means becoming a newborn. It means becoming vulnerable, hungry, ready to receive reality in a whole brand new way. It meant coming out of the darkness and into the light, risking the light. It's risky to be in the light. None of this could be, none of this can be reduced to like a set of beliefs. None of this can be reduced to like a litmus test to see who's in and who's out. Because the work of trusting in Jesus is mind-bending. Right? It's soul. It's deep soul work. It's hard. It takes time. It involves setbacks and fears and disappointment and discouragement. No wonder Nicodemus walked away and he was totally baffled. How can this be? Jesus was calling him to something much, much deeper than just checking off boxes, making sure he believed the right things and maybe adding a couple more things. He was calling him to fall in love more deeply, to stay in love. Why is belief so important to God? It's important because love is important to God. God so loved the world that he sent his only son. And we respond by investing our love, believing, investing our whole being back into God. It's all finally about love, isn't it? And then over time, here's the deal. We know that Nicodemus did this. We know that Nicodemus was changed and transformed. John doesn't say, oh, by the way, Nicodemus totally got changed and transformed and he could get hit by a truck and be fine and he'll go to heaven. No, because there's actual fruit in Nicodemus's life. His whole life changed. In, in a few chapters, we find him out, out in the light. He's being attacked by some Pharisees. He's on the Pharisee team. Jesus is being attacked, and he sort of defends Jesus' right to be heard. He doesn't like be like, I'm on Jesus' team now, but he's sort of like, let's at least give him a chance to be heard. Go ahead, find it, read about it. And then at the end of John, the book of John, the gospel of John, there's Nicodemus out in the open, out in the light, not under cover of darkness. And what does he do? He's the one who takes Jesus' body after his death, embalms it, and buries it in a tomb, fully transformed on Team Jesus. So here's the deal. It's Lent. We talked about it last week. It's time for self-reflection. It's time for for self-examination. What does it mean for you to be born of the Spirit? What does it mean for you to have those fruits of the Spirit be sort of blooming in your life? What does it look, what does it look like for you? Maybe, maybe there's just a few of them that you want to sort of concentrate on. Go to Galatians chapter 5. You'll get the whole list there. Pray through that list. Pray, Spirit of God, come into my life and make me more loving. Spirit of God, come into my life and make me more joyful. Transform me into a person who's more gentle. Transform me into someone who displays the kind of patience that you display in my life. Transform me, change me. 
We're not talking about believing the right things. We're talking about investing in Jesus with our love. And that right there, that is the thing that transforms you. Jesus wants to offer you a whole new life, a brand new beginning. Will you take it? Let's pray. God, thanks for your word. Thanks for uh, the story of Nicodemus. And God, we, we, really, we really do want to change. We really do want to become new. We really do want to be transformed. We really do want to be more like you. So God, we ask that, that you would do whatever it is that you need to do in our lives. Wake us up to different areas of our lives where we just need to ask for you to change us and transform us by your love. And God, we want to glorify you with our lives. We want to represent you well in the world, and we want to work with you at transforming the world, but sometimes it starts in our own hearts. And so we ask, oh God, that you would make us new. Give us that new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.